Talk podcast episode number 13. Josh Pose, I am Nick Palazzolo. As always, you can get at us on Twitter at Nick Palazzolo5 and at Pose underscore Josh. A lot to get to today on the podcast. Baseball is officially back. We'll update you on how the two sides came together. Is this the end of all the fighting or just the beginning? We'll also discuss who's better suited for a 60 game season. Both the Cubs and the White Sox have released. There's 60 man rosters. We'll go over some of that and we'll discuss some of the new rules being implemented for the shortened season. The NBA just this past week has released their schedule for Orlando. Some players such as Avery Bradley and Tyson Chandler are opting out. So the question is, will the NBA finish their season or their planned season in Orlando? And we'll also discuss the NHL lottery fiasco. We'll also discuss the topic of should the Hawks throw their series against Edmonton to try to secure the number one overall pick. All that and more coming up next here on the Weekly Sports Talk Podcast. All right, Josh, a lot to get to. We start with baseball. You know, this has been a thing that uh, has been in the works for three months, you know. Uh, here's a little bit of timeline. May 26th, the MLB offered 82 games with a sliding scale for salaries. That got um, declined by the players. The players sent 114 games on May 31st with full prorated salaries. That Owners didn't like that, 114 too many. Then on June 8th, the owners counted with 70 games with 75% prorated. Yeah, players like, yeah, we want full prorated. So on June 9th, they counter with 89 games with full prorated. Yeah, still too many games for the owners. June 12th, MLB, uh, the owners imp- uh, uh, proposed 72 games with 100% prorated. But uh, there were a couple hiccups in that proposal. The, own- uh, the players didn't like that. Uh, June 17th, the owners didn't... Um, uh, the players didn't counter the 72-game proposal. It was dead on arrival, as some players said. Um, so on June 17th, uh, they off the owners offered 60 games. Um, that plan was voted by the players' association. That got rejected in a 35 or 33 to five vote against the proposal. So the players countered with 70. And uh, the players, they wanted as many games as possible. They didn't, they didn't get their 70. So basically, you know, just last week, they, Manfred implemented his 60-game season. The big problem with the owners offering 60, like why would you offer 60 games and then have Manfred um, implement 60 games? Because as a part of their six, the owner's 60-game 60 60 game agreement, the players would have had to waive their right to grieve, uh, file a grievance through an independent arbitrator um, saying that the owners didn't negotiate in bad faith. So, Josh, I ask you, what did the players really gain in this in like these three months of negotiating if they just went back on their March agreement to have Manfred implement the season? They really didn't gain anything. It was a full circle and a lot of hiccups in between. Um I honestly think that was all for nothing with 
if Manfred just implemented right right there and then, things would be a lot different. Maybe we would have had 80 games, not just 60, maybe even 100. Um, but everyone, and I'm not saying it was the player's fault because it was the owner's fault too. Everyone got greedy. It was all money. It's a business. And I was talking with someone this weekend. I had a baseball tournament up in Pleasant Prairie. Um, it's crazy how we're back before the pros. And then someone else said, yeah, we don't have billion-dollar owners to keep us from going back. Right, yeah, and, and it makes a lot of sense. I had a tournament this weekend out in Woodstock, and it, and it was just one of those things. It was like the owner, the players want were they were never going to back off of their full prorated salaries, okay? The owners were never – they never wanted to give them their full prorated till the very end. And, Josh, if you take a look at it, when the owners offered their – on May 26th, when they offered 82 games with their sliding scale proposal, players would have made more money in that proposal than they actually made if Manfred were to implement the season. So, sure, the players – they gain the right to grieve, right? We, we all understand that. But here's the thing. Look at Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant filed a grievance in uh, 2015 when he got called up by the Cubs because of the whole service time issue because the players got screwed over in the previous collective bargaining agreement, and this new one expires in December of 2021. But that grievance was just heard this past February. That's a whole five years later. So, sure, they have the right to grieve, but we won't hear about it for another five, six years. Yeah, and now that there's a season back, now the question is, can the MLB survive through a pandemic with guys not having – with guy, with cases rising in the states like Florida, Texas? You have the Rangers, the Marlins, the, the, the Rays – you can go to California, you have the Dodgers, you have the Padres, you have all those teams out there whose states and areas are increasing drastically over the past couple of weeks. Will they be able to have their games there and not have a problem? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Let me look at this from an NBA point of view. We'll kind of merge those two things in here. The NBA's got a bubble in Orlando. Orlando has been one of the hot spots in Florida for the hospitalizations and the cases just drastically climbing um, in regards to COVID. But the NBA is different because they're in a bubble. They're all sequestered in uh, different hotels. They're all in the same area, right? They're, nobody can leave unless they have like an extenuating circumstance. But back to the MLB. They're still traveling all over. Sure, they're only going to play like the NL Central will play the AL Central. And that's about it. You'll play everyone in your division, and then you'll play everyone in the opposite division. So the NL Central, AL Central will play NL East, AL East will play, so on and so forth. So, so Josh, that, that's kind of the thing. Positive cases are going to happen. There's no way around it. But, you know, I, I baseball, baseball wasted their time, right? They wasted your time. They wasted my time. They wasted everyone's time. 
me and you were both baseball fans. We both play baseball. We enjoy the sport for what it is. And baseball really needed this window to to market themselves to the youth. Because if baseball is the only sport on TV, that's what people are going to be watching, right? So you, you take a look at that. When they come back on July 23rd, I think is going to be the opener. I, a few leaks have been out. It's going to be between the national, world champion nationals and the, uh, the Yankees. So it'll probably be Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. But that's only about a week before the NBA and the NHL finally resumes. So, like, baseball had three months to figure all this out. But they figured all this out. But then they only have a week of, uh, let's call it airtime, just by themselves. That doesn't make much sense from a baseball perspective. Yeah, and I I don't know if you've touched on this already. But um, they had their chance to be that, that major, first major sport to be back. They will be but they had their chance to be a month or two months ahead of everyone. Not two months, maybe a month at the max, month and a half. But they had their chance to get those fans that were already on the fence of eh, baseball's going down to get their interest back up because they're that's the only live sport available. Yeah. But they missed that opportunity. Yeah, and, and it's a big miss. And I know we talked about it last uh, last week, two weeks ago, when we ranked all of the commissioners. We both had Manfred coming in last because he doesn't know how to market his players. If Deshaun Watson, like I used this example last week or two weeks ago, if Deshaun Watson were walking next to Mike Trout in Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago, everybody will know who Deshaun Watson is. Nobody would know other than the diehard baseball fan will know who Mike Trout is. And that's a problem. So, and it's just one of those things. I'm glad baseball's back, but this is just the start of it because the collective bargaining agreement, um, that'll, that expires in December 2021. So they'll be negotiating it this upcoming offseason because that's what the NFL did. It's what most smart, smart leagues do in regards to their uh, CBA. But but it's just one of those things where it's like it just got annoying. It's like just figure this out. It's not that hard. Just figure it out. Get back to work. Get back to your spring training facilities or your home stadiums. And, and that, Josh, I think that's also an interesting thing. Is like the Cubs will be at Wrigley. Their taxi squad will be in South Bend at their single A affiliate. The White Sox will be at guaranteed rate. I don't know if it's been announced where their taxi squad has been. But, like, you're just going to have a bunch of uh, games within yourself. A lot of inter-squad scrimmages, right? I mean, towards the end, like a week before the season, the Cubs and Sox will probably play a three-game spring spring training series, right? So, But how, how much can a player really get ready in in uh, more inter-squad games. Because if you look at the NFL, you, you hear this all the time. Players like um, NFL like linemen, D-linemen, everybody, they love joint practices, right? Because they like being able to hit other people, go against other people. But how be- how much better are you getting if you're just playing yourself? Yeah. 
So, Josh, let's take a look at the 60-game season, right? It's quite interesting. 60 games, I think it's been released that the Cubs and the White Sox will play about six times, give or take. Um, and that could be a fun series. But, but I know we talked about it this week, and I remember my answer, but I don't really remember your answer. But who's better suited for a 60-game season with a DH? Right, the the DH will be universal through the NL and the AL. You take a look at an up and coming team like the Cincinnati Reds; they have all the offensive power. They're more suited for um, a DH. The Cubs, Kyle Schwarber might be a DH. Who plays left field? Is it uh, Chris Bryant? Do you move him out to the outfield? Do you put Ian Happ there? Do you stick Al Mora there? where's the kind of limbo you don't have as much depth and as flexibility as you have. So Josh, does your opinion change? Who will be better suited for a 60 game sprint? The Sox or the Cubs? Well, I'm going to go with the Cubs, but I'm going to give you my reasons why. And I'm going to say the Cubs early, actually the Cubs earlier in the season, because you have that star player with the White Sox of Luis Robert, He'll, he'll be swinging away for everything in the first 15 to 20 games, like every rookie does, and then he'll finally figure it out. So those first 15 to 20 games will be a rough – I think he'll be starting a rough spot for the White Sox. But once Luis Robert figures it out and if uh, – oh, what's his name? Uh, Madrigal. Nick Madrigal. Madrigal comes up at the beginning of the season. If he's up, then he'll have to start figuring it out. The first 20 games are key. If they can get over that hump with those two guys, if they're on the roster, I know Luis Robert will be. If the if he can get over the hump and the team could be a couple games over 500, I think the White Sox will be all right. But for this full season, the Cubs, because they have Schwarber that can be the DH. They have all these guys that have been there before. They have World Series talent. Don't know if they're still in their all – where they were at in 2016, but they still have a lot of experience. And like Rick Hahn said, I don't know if I said it a couple weeks ago, you win 20, you lose 20, and it's what you do with the other 20 that will be the key this season. Right, and I think if you're comparing the Cubs and the White Sox side by side, I think the major advantage the Sox have over the Cubs is their bullpen, right? The Cubs bullpen, you don't really know. Uh, I, Kimbrel's going to be your closer, but other than that, who's going to be your high leverage guy? Will it be Rowanwick? Will it be Bradwick? Jeremy Jeffries has done it before, but he's fallen off. Is it uh, lesser names like Dan Winkler, Casey Sadler, um, players like that? Kyle Ryan's another one. So, and, but if you take a look at the Sox pen, they got Colome, they have Herrera, they have Aaron Bummer. They have Steve Ciszek and Joe Madden ran Ciszek's arm into the ground year after year when Ciszek was on the north side. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it's one of those things like, how how does uh, newcomer David Ross and Ricky Renteria, how are they going to manage their bullpen, right? Most pitchers have been throwing, but they haven't probably been throwing to hitters. It's 60 games, and every matchup, every mistake might cost you, right? So you take a look at it. Are you going to use C-Sheck three days in a row? Or are you going to use him every other day? How is it going to work? For the Cubs, are you just going to 
especially for the Cubs going into this year, it typically gives a man you typically have a manager figuring out his bullpen a month or two months into the season. David Ross doesn't have that luxury um, with the Cubs. So I, I think it's one of those things he's got to try and figure out. But but the Cubs do have the the advantage in the starting rotation, I believe, uh, because the White Sox, uh, Kopech is still kind of recovering. He had a couple spring, spring training starts, but I don't think we can expect – like we can expect a lot from him, but we have to temper the expectations in regard to Kopech because you don't want him to go – Full out 103 mile an hour fastballs the his first appearance right because because that because the White Sox have had the history of arm injuries. Carlos Rodon is another one trying to work him way back. I don't know if Dane Dunning will make an impact this year because he's had some injury history. Uh, Josh, I don't know if it's me, but as a Cubs fan looking at the White Sox, is it me or if the Sox had a lot of a lot of injuries um, to their pitching staff that has kind of set them back over the last two of the three years. Yeah, it's it's really seemed like the White Sox, I don't know if they're the only team that has it, but they're one of the only teams that has multiple guys year in and year out having injuries like that. You had um, Carlos Rodon, and he was the opening day starter being the ace of the team, not last year. Yes, last year, but uh, he got an injury. He, you had Michael Kopech coming in, making his debut, and then about four or five starts later, he's done with Tommy Tommy John, I believe. Um, he, luckily, hopefully this year, knock on wood, Lucas Giolito stays healthy after the great year he's had last year, and he doesn't relapse. Um. Hopefully, Steve Ciszek's arm could stay good. And I think this bullpen, and I'm going to go to David Ross here. I'm not dogging on the guy. But his first game will be – or his first season will be a 60-game season, like you said, where every play matters and every bullpen move matters. And he hasn't – he's never been a major league manager before. I'm not saying Rick Renteria is the greatest manager, but he knows how to manage a bullpen more than David Ross. So the White Sox could have that one up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a good point because I've also had the same concern. The shorter season it hurts David Ross more than it benefits him, right? Uh, one thing I think the MLB was really stupid in doing is keeping the three batter minimum over one sixty two. They were going to have pitchers face at least three batters before they can come out to eliminate the matchups and stuff. But I, I but I but I believe they're putting in a uh, like a pitch count restriction. If he hits like 25, 30 pitches, something like that, before three batters, he can come out. But here's that's the one thing I don't like about one of the rule changes is like they're keeping that. Josh, I don't know how you feel, but like I didn't mind all the pitching changes, right? Like I understood it to an extent. Like every every guy, like lefty, like if it was lefty, righty, lefty. You would have lefty pitcher, righty pitcher, lefty pitcher. That's a little extreme. But, like, play the numbers. Play the matchups. And I think David Ross, being being a catcher, he looks at a game differently, right? He knows how to manage a pitching staff. He knows when guys are getting tired before they know it because he's seen it before, right? So I think that's one advantage he does have, just having the catcher experience. But he also has never managed before, right? 
He's managed in spring training, but spring training, you literally have like 90 man rosters. You can make all these changes uh, that you want. So, Josh, I don't know how you feel about the three batter minimum or the universal DH. I kind of like the National League style of play. I could have done without the DH, but I understand why they're doing it. I just, I'm just not sure how I feel about it. And also the runner on second to start extra innings. Mm. Not a big fan of that because it's like, no, I, no. I, I, hate, I hate it. I hate it. And you have those tournaments that we play in in youth that you have to start California rules. They call it, you have a guy starting on second, one out, I believe, right? and a 2-1 count to start, it, it's just not baseball at that point. And you're going to put it in the MLB other than the 2-1, one, one out. But it's just not baseball starting with the guy on second base. It, baseball is you play until until the next day. You play – you can play 30 innings like the White Sox and Brewers did back in the 80s. That's, that's, that's the greatest thing about baseball. There's no time limit. And now that they're going to be – taking that away by trying to get guys scoring with on with guys on second. Right. But, the and, and the one thing I don't understand about that is that I'm a pitcher. Don't really do much else on the baseball field. I just pitch. Uh, but, like, here's the thing. Runner on second. It'll probably be the last out of the previous inning, right? So the last out of the ninth inning will go on second for the start of the tenth, right? But – the pitcher doesn't get charged an earned run if he gives up a base hit. But he gets charged the loss. Like, that's one of the things that doesn't make much sense to me. You're go- you're not going to charge him an earned run because he didn't put the runner on base. But you're going to give him a loss for giving up a base hit? Because basically, Josh, right when you put a runner on second, any base hit wins the game, essentially. So so that's, that's what's stupid. I, I, I understand they want to get things over quickly. But, like, that's just not the way to do it. I mean, the DH, I understand you don't want to go see a guy like John Lester go up there, take three swings, and then go sit down. I know it happened in 2018. Uh, in order to keep Pedro Strope in the game, Joe Madden had to use him as a hitter. Pedro Strope uh, tweaked his hamstring running down to first base. He was out like five weeks after that, and he was never really the same after it. So it's one of those things where I feel like MLB's trying to get too cute with all these rule changes. I know they're trying to speed up the game, but Josh, like you said, the no time limit in baseball is what makes baseball so great. There's not a time limit. You're not forced. You don't have like that time crunch of a two-minute drill in the NFL or a last-second shot in the NBA. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I, I feel like the MLB is trying to get too cute um, with some of these rule changes. Like, I understand why some why some of them are happening, but I also don't think some of these rule changes are necessary. Let's move on to the NBA. The NBA released a schedule, and some players such as Avery Bradley, Tyson Chandler are opting out. Uh, J.R. Smith is in talks with the Lakers to returning with his old buddy LeBron. Hopefully he remembers the score and how much time is left on the clock with the Lakers. Um, but Josh, here's one thing. Uh, Woj had a tweet uh, earlier last week that said 16, I believe, out of 302 players tested positive for the coronavirus. That's right about 5%. I 
like people are like, oh my god, sixteen. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not that bad. But Josh, since we're since they're in a bubble environment, um, and Orlando being one of the hot spots of Florida's um, outbreaks, do you think the NBA will completely finish their season this year? I mean, the only hope it has is if everyone follows the bubble environment to the max. Everyone has to be in. That's the only way, and their and their upper twenties to low forty year old men, they're not gonna, they're not gonna sit there and say, okay, yay, I'm gonna stay inside, not do anything social, other than all the great things that everyone else in the world wish they had, but they're taking, taking that for granted. I'm I'm gonna assume that's gonna happen. Um. I don't think it'll end up unless Florida somehow goes down in cases over the next couple of weeks. I just don't see it ending well with guys testing positive, which will lead to more, which will ultimately end up leading to the cancellation of the season. Yeah, and and I understand where you're coming from. I, I think the NBA will finish, uh, barring – Barring a large outbreak, because if you take a look at the MLB and the NBA, Corona and even the NHL, coronavirus isn't isn't the only injury or only sickness, only injury a player could have. LeBron could go out there, he could either he could pull his hamstring, he could tear his groin, stuff like that, just because they haven't played in so long. So yes, players, it's inevitable for players not to test positive. It's going to happen. Uh, they will be quarantined for fourteen day, 10 to 14 days. They will need to um, uh, have two negative tests before they'd be fully cleared to resume. Um, but, uh, but I do think the uh, NBA will finish. I, I think I'm in the slight minority here. Um, but I understand the players who want to opt out. Um, I can't read. There was a player who was opting out. I can't think of his name, but there's a player who was opting out because his son has a respiratory disorder and he doesn't want to go in a bubble for three months, potentially contract it, and then come home to to his son and, and who has a respiratory condition. So he has the chance to opt out. You know, I, I think over the next – I think there's a deadline for players opting out. I think that will come to fruition or more players will start to opt out. I understand players want to want to play, um, but but Josh, one of the things is like, how well is everyone going to follow the rules? And if they don't follow the rules, what's the punishment? I know we talked about this a little bit last week, or maybe two weeks ago, but you know what's going to be the penalty? Are they going to get suspended? Are they going to get kicked out of the bubble? Where does Adam Silver going to draw the line in regards to punishment for not following, whether it be the social distancing or just the erratic behavior that that happens over the course of a season? Yeah, it's not like you can kick the guy out for two weeks and then have him come back in. It's you, you're going to, like, lock him up or something like that? You're going to put him in, like, uh, his room and don't come out at all or, like, some something like that? I feel like the suspension would be a little light, in my opinion. 
because what are they going to like? They're suspending him from games, but where is he going to be? And if he charter. already went out, but who's going to monitor that? Is there going to be a security guard standing in front of his door? Exactly. Well, well sure that's what I'm leave? saying. Where's Silver going to draw the line? Is like a first time offender? Is he going to get kicked out of the whole bubble, and the team will have to hi- have a replacement player come in and re- replace him? You know, players are uh, teams are also going to have to. You know, hope that their teams follow, um, follow the directions and the guidance provided by the NBA and the NBA PA. But but it's one of those things. Like, what happens if if it does if players don't follow the rules? Because as the old adage goes, boys will be boys, right? So y- you look at it. You know how how. How mentally draining will this bubble be? I understand some some families will be able to come into the bubble um, to see their relatives, but it's one of those things where it's like, uh, where where do you draw the line? And and I'd be interested to see like the first time this comes to fruition, like how it happens, um, like like what's going to be the protocol for it? Um, is it just going to be a one on one come to Jesus meeting with Adam Silver? It's like don't do that again or is he going to get suspended from games is he going to get completely kicked out of the bubble you know i i think that's one of the interesting storylines to find yeah and i'm gonna go to the eight teams that didn't make it really quick um so everyone's talking about like what they should do so they're not going from march to december of a whole nine months like the bulls like the charlotte hornets and all those the warriors would they do this is I saw this on Twitter from someone the other day. An eight team, they do their own tournament in their own little bubble in some small little gym with some TV money involved and that stuff and that. And the winner of that gets the first pick. What do you think about that one, Nick? Yeah, I, I like it. But uh if you're the Bulls, uh, is uh, Jim Boylan coaching that team? Um, do you really want Jim Boylan coaching that team? I heard uh, Joe Cowley, he was on with David Kaplan on ESPN 1000 this morning. He says Jim Boylan's uh, confidence is being back is sky high. Sure, Arturis and Mark Eversley could come back. They have a plan. They're kind of uh, looking into Emmy Udoka. Uh, Adrian Griffin are some names that have been um, names of some substance that have been tied to the Bulls. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I like the idea, but if you're a Bulls fan, how how does that work? I understand players want to play, and there's been talks for the eight teams that didn't make it to play some kind of tournament in some kind of bubble format um, just to play, just to kind of stay fresh, because the Bulls could potentially be going nine months. The Bulls, the Warriors, the Cavs, they could all be going like nine months without um, playing an actual NBA game. So it's one of those things where it's like, as a Bulls fan, Josh, do you do you, do you want a Jim Boylan led Bulls team to to enter into this tournament and win for the number one overpick, or do you trust Jim Boylan, a Jim Boylan led Bulls team, to win it all? No, they they won't even become close. You, you'll have, and I don't know if they'll actually play. You have. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson to play against because Clay will probably be healthy. Will he risk that to play against the eight teams? Maybe because, but it's better than the dang lottery. 
because we all know that the Warriors will probably get the first pick. The NBA, it's kind of like the love with the Blackhawks in the NHL. They want anything that the team that's been successful stays successful. The Blackhawks get, they get everything from the NHL. They get the Winter Classic. They get the Stadium Series. They get, they get anything. And now that this whole, we'll come up to it next, but this whole first, the team that loses has a 12.5% chance of getting the first pick. What will the NBA be like? Yeah, it's it's a really good question because uh, Josh, I think we're we're in a world of uncertainty here. No, nobody really knows of of what it will be like. Um, Boylan, uh, I hope he's not back. Um, but if you just take a look at all the all of the you know the draft lottery, I think is in August, I believe, with the draft taking place in October or September. Uh, September or October, I believe. And, and it's just one of those things is like, I, I feel like these teams will play, right? The eight teams who didn't make it, they will play a, in some format. But it's just one of those things. And I know we'll get into the NHL lottery in just a second. But it's like one of those things where it's like no, nobody's really sure about what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's just. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go. Let's just. I'd rather have these teams duel it out for the first pick other than a bunch of ping pong balls jumping around and someone picking it up, even though you know it's it might be tainted. Right, but, but uh, you know, because no, if I had to guess, nobody's going to be wearing gloves, right? If I just had to take a wild guess. Nobody's going to yeah. be wearing gloves, you know. They'll probably social distance. They might not. They might do it. Who knows? Uh, will the rules be strictly enforced or will they be loosely enforced? It's one of those things that will kind of be in wait and see mode. All right, let's move on to the NHL lottery fiasco. The uh, NHL had phase number one of their lottery. Uh, Josh, so please explain to us uh, what the hell happened. So you had about seven teams or wanting to be the number one pick. And you, everyone thought Detroit would be the one because they were just god-awful, only winning, let's see, dead last in the NHL with just 17 wins. They ended up getting the fourth pick. Buffalo gets the eighth pick. New Jersey gets seven. Anaheim, six. Ottawa, five. Ottawa from the Sharks, three, again. And then two was the Kings. And the deputy commissioner puts up a NHL sign for the number one pick. And he said that the, in the qualifying rounds, the losers will each have a fair share at the first pick. I like it. Not going to lie. It takes away the tanking right there. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't, right? Let's take a look at a team like the Blackhawks, right? They've been kind of in limbo. Do we sell? Do we rebuild? Do we try to keep contending? They've kind of been in that limbo. 
and outside the playoff hunt for the last couple of years. So, J- Josh, I know me and you texted about this a couple of days ago, but should the Hawks throw or purposely lose their series against Edmonton for the chance, for the chance at the number one pick? Yes. Yes. Why? Why? The Blackhawks just aren't a very good team this year. They're ninth, ninth worst in the league. They're 23rd best team in the league, which is not very good. And you had so many more teams are better than him, them. They, their chance for the number one pick is more of a chance than winning the Stanley Cup. So I'd rather have the chance for the number one pick than having to win what? What is it? It's 18 games now to win the Stanley Cup. They're not capable of beating a team like St. Louis, Colorado, uh, they might beat Vegas. That's that's a stretch. But they're not capable of beating a team like Boston this year. They're just not that good of a team. And being 32-30 and 30 and eight overtime losses, it's just not a good team. And people need to realize that the Hawks really won't be able to win it this year. Yeah, and Josh, I – I understand. I like. I agree with you that the Hawks aren't as good this year, right? That's that's not a secret. It's not a. It's not a secret, right? You know. But here's the thing: you're not gonna tell players like Corey Crawford, Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, guys. I'm gonna need you guys after taking three months off due to a pandemic. I'm I'm gonna need you guys to not play as hard. Like that's just not gonna happen. If they lose, fine. Like if they lose, fine. That's that's fine. They get a chance at the pick. Great. But like you're not gonna tell players after taking like a three having three months off of no hockey, you're you're not gonna say that, you know you're not just gonna say players who have played very well in their career at the highest level, yeah, we're gonna we want a shot at the number one pick. Because, uh, you know, or so we're just not going to need you to play as hard. That's not something players like players are like, oh, my God, teams are tanking. They're not tanking because players are still out there playing their hardest because it their jobs are on the line. Depending depending on how hard they play, um, it determines their next contract. Right. So it's one of those things where it's like. I understand that people want them to tank, but I don't think that it should be like, oh, they should do it for sure. Because after taking three months off, the first thing you want to do, you want to get back, you want to have fun, you want to play your sport. I know I was like this this past weekend. But, like, you can't tell professional athletes, I'm not going to – you guys can't play as hard because we're trying for the pick. That's just not how any of this works. Like, if if you finish with the worst record – it's probably because you have a really bad team. You're not intentionally trying to lose. You just have a bunch of nobody below average players. So that so that's one thing I, I like I like I understand why they should like try to get more youth because the Hawks are growing older, um, especially defensively. Their defense. Um, their defense hasn't been as good. Uh, same with their power play over their la- the last two seasons, I believe. 
But it's one of those things where I believe that, you know, I, I do think the Hawks have a shot to beat Edmonton in their first round series. But I don't know. I don't know if it's realistic to ask a team to tank. That's just my personal feeling, Josh. I don't I don't know if you have the same feeling, but I don't think it's realistic to ask a team to tank. Yeah, and, and this team, like you said, is a bunch of stars, and I would want them to lose. I'm, I'm, I don't want them to lose, my bad. I want them to have the first pick other than seeing the agony of defeat in the second round getting swept by St. Louis and St. Louis fans jumping on us acting like they're the greatest thing that's ever happened, even though they've only won one Stanley Cup um, in like their history. But I'm looking at the three games the Oilers and the Blackhawks played this year. 3-1 Blackhawks, 5-3 Oilers, and 4-3 Blackhawks. They have a chance at beating Edmonton, but how much farther can that playoff magic go with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays with really no support squad? other than Duncan Keith, and you might not have Brent Seabrook back. Yeah, yeah, and one of those things is, like, the injured players like Seabrook. Um, I think Calvin DeHaan is another one. Um, But, you know, will these players come back to make an impact? I know Seabrook has had shoulder injuries. I believe he's also had some head issues over the last couple years now. Uh, But it's one of those things, like – Sure, they're a good team. They could beat Edmonton. But, like, I understand your point of them moving on. But it's like in the playoffs, any anything can happen. Playoff hockey is one of the great things about sports. Playoff hockey is great. I love playoff hockey. But it's like, like, I understand the first round pick. Like, just, just, just realistically think about it like this. There was only an eight, a 0.8% chance of this happening. Of a team in the qualifying, a losing team in the qualifying round getting a, um, they're getting the first round pick. So I just thought it was just kind of funny how it happened, right? So, and it was like, you should have seen Twitter after it happened. Everyone was going ballistic about it. It was like, holy cow, now now a team like the Hawks have to draw that fine line of should they play? Should they not play well? Like, what should they do? Yeah, and the I was looking at odds the other day of, and if you put, and I was listening to something, if you put $50 down on the Blackhawks to win the Stanley Cup, you get over $3,000. And I was talking to my uncle the other day, and he put down a bet, um, or I don't know if he did yet, but it was – $75, and he'd win $5,000 if the Hawks just made it to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, you... it'd be good. I mean, it's it's a good value play. I mean, you take a look at it, the world of sports betting. You know, a team like the qualifying round, you take a look at the team with experience, right? Hawks have that experience. Most of their players have been on the three-peat teams, right? So they've been there before. They know how to do it. It's not a bad play. It might be kind of a long shot, but it's not a bad sports betting play. I know if you take a look at the MLB odds, the Cubs are about their over-under is 32 wins. I think the White Sox are at 31 or 31 and a half. Um, I feel like the over is is a good play there. 
Um, but it's just one of those things where the Hawks, I, 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 I do feel like they have a chance how far they will go. I'm not sure because we still haven't really seen how – what what shape these guys are in? What kind of shape is Patrick Kane? What kind of shape is Duncan Keith in? Right? They traded away Eric Gustafson. They traded away Robin Leonard. Right? So you take a look at that. Is do you, and we still don't have a president after John McDonough got fired. You know that that play that Danny Wirtz is still the interim team president. We still don't have any. Um clarity on what's going forward if they will just remove the interim tag off of Danny Worth. So just a lot of questions for the Hawks. Yeah, and it will they take off the did you did you say will they take off the interim tag? Yeah. Yeah, I if they do that, then the the organization's in disarray. You can't have the the owner's son being the president. Come on. Take take a look at the um the Bulls. I mean, Michael Reinsdorf is the team president and the CEO. How well is that going? He just fired packs. Hey, Josh, take a look at it like this. They don't care about the team. They just talk. They just care about money, right? Mm-hmm. They, they look at it from a business. Reinsdorf's have been really good um, in terms of making money, right? They're great business people. So it's just one of those things where they just look at it from – from a um a financial aspect, right? You know, it's one of those things like everybody thinks the Reinsdorfs have shitty teams, but they just look at it from the money. If they're still collecting a check every month or every year, you know, for them that's a success. Yeah. Josh, you got anything else before we wrap up? I'm good. And a little side note to all of our six listeners. Um, we will be taking a brief hiatus uh, for a couple of weeks on a focus on our baseball tournaments with those starting to wrap up. So I don't know. I don't know when we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back, though. Uh, will it be in July? Probably towards the end of July. I don't know. It's kind of all up in the air right now. But uh, that'll do it uh, for Josh Pose. I am Nick Palazzolo. Thank you to our six listeners for listening to episode 13 of the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. Be safe, wear a mask, social distance, and have a great day.